You're listening to Data Plus Love. This week, I'm talking to Robert Janizek. Um, did I just butcher that? I think that was that was good. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the you know the teachers in school would always kind of butcher it, and I would kind of just you know go along with either whatever they said or correct them. But I think that was pretty good. What you? Did. I'm okay with it. I'll accept. Should, it. should we roll with this? Should this be the take? I like it. You know, it's as as you know informal as possible. That's the name of the game. You just gotta roll with the punches really i like that we're doing this okay so if you don't know robert robert makes beautiful visas and a lot of them are about music he's also uh, working at jp morgan chase in the center of excellence which i definitely want to grill him about because i've never actually worked with the center of excellence so mm. i know what it's supposed to be in theory but i don't know what it's like in actuality so without further ado robert uh whose name i can semi last pronounce how are you i am good it's uh it's about 8 30 my time I'm getting a little sleepy i just watched the town which was really good i don't know if you've seen that but it's classic on a movie so i try to watch a movie pretty much every night i watched the town today and yesterday i forget what i watched but i watched about five movies so that was kind of a- and and you say that we were talking about snowpiercer the other week so i feel mm-hmm. obliged to bring that up as part of this conversation yeah. what are your feelings on snowpiercer do you love it do you hate it Okay, I love it because Mad Max is one of my favorite movies ever. I actually have it on Blu-ray, and I only have—I think I only have five Blu-ray movies, and that's one of them. I actually bought—I got a TV the exact same year that I got um, the Mad Max Blu-ray DVD. And I said, okay, the first thing I have to watch is Mad Max. So as soon as I started watching Snowpiercer, I said, oh, this really has this exact same aesthetic. And I said, okay, I'm gonna love you. And I didn't know—oh, what's that director's name? It's a uh, he, did, he Parasite. did Parasite. He did The Host. I can't yeah. recall his name, but Oscar winner. Oh, so good. As soon as I learned that he was there, I feel like, I'm game. I'm game. So which Mad Max are we talking about? Are we talking about the very original, like, Road Warrior film? Are we talking about, like, Beyond uh, Thunderdome? Are we talking about Fury well, Road? What are we talking? The one that came out a few years ago. With, okay, Fury um, Road. Fury Road, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, so good. Mad Max Fury Road is excellent. For those of you doubting, and my wife would be among you, um, it is one of the most beautiful looking, beautiful sounding movies. It's a two hour long chase sequence that at no point are you ever lost during it. It's a master of action films and storytelling. The fact that you can have vehicles tearing along at those speeds and at no point am I confused about the action. I mean, Avengers movies don't pull that off. Um, and the fact that you have a director who's like 70 creating films of such quality is pretty spectacular. And it's kind of sacrilege because I haven't seen the original. So... I really started with the newest one. So I said, okay, I'll watch this one. And I said I would go back. I'll tell you this. The very original is a very different kind of film. Um, It was a super low budget movie. And it doesn't have the post-apocalyptic feel of the second, third, and more recently fourth movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously the fourth is going to be the most spectacular at this point because the technology and stunts effects have come so much further. Um, But I, I still think it's the best. But it's kind of fun to see some of that old stuff. You got the Campy's 80 action. I'm always in for Campy's 80s action. Like, I love a like a ridiculous 80s movie. Like, have you ever seen The Running Man? Uh, no, no, I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh, it's your like you're in for a treat. Like, it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a role that does not require Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's based on a Stephen King novella, so you know it's nothing like the source material. And it's essentially a 19 eras American Gladiator style combat show where prisoners are sentenced to run through this televised maze while they're being hunted down by like, you know, American gladiators style uh, folks. 
There's even one named Sub-Zero, like in Mortal Kombat. It's crazy. I mean, that sounds amazing. So it sounds like I really need to actually write after this. I'm just not going to deny it. Oh, and it's got like a John Carpenter-style synth soundtrack. It's it's delightful garbage. Love it. I love delightful garbage. You know. Speaking of delightful garbage, I mean, speaking of music, you have quite a... <laughs> You have quite a few music visits. Is music one of your personal hobbies or is it something that's just great to make visits out of? Um, so I have never played music. I, I, you know, as a kid, I never actually played music, but I just started to get really in. And pretty much every day I would just spend all day going through playlists and going through albums and going through discography of different artists. Um, and at one point, I think I had before Spotify, like 300 gifts full of discs. And I would just go through all of those. And then if I liked the album, I would set that album off to the side to know that that's an album that I do all the way through. Or if there's just specific songs from the album, I'll put those into a playlist. And then, at, I mean, at this point, uh, I have a hip hop playlist that's, I mean, a couple thousand, I think it's like 3,000 songs long. And it spans from like early 80s, late 80s to, I mean, albums that came out like last week. So basically, I've spent like a couple of years making a hip hop playlist, essentially. Um, I really just like knowing either the history of hip hop, especially, but just where the sounds that are coming out or like what samples were really big and what samples a lot. Um, so most of it just stemmed from listening, essentially. Yeah, I never actually, which is, I wish I, I wish I, I probably can. I could go back. I could do it. There's still time. Myself. You're young. Yeah, I got, time. I got time. I mean, hip hop is obviously close to your heart and music uh, as a as a you have a lot of music in your um in your portfolio, but you definitely do it like you do your hip hop uh, best albums of the year and you've done that at least a couple of years now. Yeah. Um what is it about hip hop in particular? You like I guess the creativity of the fact that they're sampling and that they're taking something existing and making something new out of it or are you just particularly drawn to that style of music? So, I really started to love the boom bap um hip-hop which which was like early 90s that's what really um, that's what you can like golden era of hip-hop type sound so like you know nas all that type of stuff um but hip-hop especially it's just such a different you know whether it's the lingo or the history behind it, it has such a rich rich history of like it started um and you know the wordplay is so small i mean a lot of the times people generally just you know, listen to the beats, which is which is fine because that's actually generally the first thing we hear. But some of the lyrics are so smart, so witty. The punchlines are amazing. Um, and some albums are completely conceptual, um, like Kendrick Mars to Pimp a Butterfly is, you know, I, is my favorite album of all time. But, and that's a completely conceptual album, considered a classic, you know, very jazzy, very funky. It's almost like a funk, jazz, hip hop album. Um, so I think it's it's a combination of the lyrics, the samples, um, more jazzy and funk, which is kind of what I'm into. That's really cool. I mean, it's it's interesting to see the different types of music and how they sort of flow in and out of each other, how nothing exists in a vacuum. We were talking earlier, um, you're taking a trip to Nashville. I was talking about how sort of country music in Nashville became rock and then Nashville sort of took off as an area as these different genres sort of merge and flow in and out of each other. And um, I mean, if you like listen to Beastie Boys samples and stuff, they were borrowing from rock music at the time or various other things. Um, and as hip hop grows, you have hip hop building on hip hop and you get these interesting layers of strata um, that would probably make for some really awesome visuals for you in the future. And I'm saying that as I'm looking at right now, um, one of your vi more recent visits that sort of really inspired me, which is your ebb and flow viz. 
which shows the um, changing of music genres over time in terms of popularity. Um, and this is a stunning looking viz. Like, was this the original plan for your viz? I mean, do you want to describe it or you, do you want me to take a shot at this? Because I've been doing lots of metaphors lately and people hate them when I make them. So I really like doing them now. But uh, if, if you like, you can introduce your own work. Yeah, so recently I created a visualization called Ebb and Flow, which is basically music genre popularity over time based on Billboard Hot 100 frequency. Um, and the way that it looks now stems from a few pieces of, you know, inspiration. And I really wanted to have a lot of room for, uh, you know, an annotation. Um, so one of the big pieces was, all right, how do I split up these decades so that they, and also the name of, you know, the visualization perf fits perfectly with the way that the actual data is ebbing and flowing over time, where something that used to be like rock starting in the 80s was extremely popular. And then once you hit 2016, it's not even in the top five. Um, and there's a reason I didn't call it rock, because I really wanted to drive home the point that, you know, look at this thing that was extremely popular at the beginning of the visualization, and then there's not even any color to it because it's not even, it's really not even that popular. It's popular, but if we're talking about mainstream appeal, it's not as popular. And really pretty much pop takes over essentially, you know, the last time. Pretty much all the genres are just, it's pop, but slightly different where it has its, like now it's country pop, um, you know, pop rap, which is like Drake, you know, a lot of these, it's still, it's still hip hop but it's you know has that pop subgenre so pretty much all of the biggest owners now have some sort of you know pop of category most popular um, pop country taylor swift yeah yeah and if you look back to country like in the 70s that's that was not what country was at all um so it's just how it works it ebbs and flows over time see what i did there i, I see what you did there that was very clever we're going to just pause for a minute by that. Now, um, I really love this because it reminds me of like whenever you see uh, the invisible man, like you see human anatomy and you see like the veins and the arteries flowing through the body. It reminds me of that. And it's like the lifeblood of the music industry. And it's sort of this wellspring that uh, reinvigorates itself because there's stuff that'll come in and out of favor and, you know, new styles that are made all the time. I I am a lot older than you. So I was around in the early 90s when alternative was the thing. And alternative was really just rock. It was just a new name for rock. Um, but, you know, at the time, Gen Xers felt like it was something new and creative and different when really they're standing on the shoulders of everyone that has come before them in the uh, 70s, 80s, 60s, 50s, and so on before that. Um, but was this viz made entirely in Tableau? So here's where the fun comes into play. So as soon as I posted this, you know, I had a, I mean, a ton of people asking how this was done, which is understandable because I have, I mean, I haven't really seen anything like this in Tableau. It's, I've seen it before just in posters. I haven't, I haven't really seen it in B3 or anything. Um, so at this point, it's strictly like poster work, essentially. Um, none of this was created in Tableau. So I used about five different programs. You know, if someone, if someone comes along and says, hey, I can create this in Tableau, then the more power to you, I I hope someone can do that, but my math skills are not where they need to be able to create something like this in Tableau. Um, I wish they were, but it's, it's just not. Um, so I used about five different programs to create this. Um, and the point that I always like to drive home for me specifically, I'm always most concerned in end result. Like I'm very project oriented where 
I want to create something that I put my max amount of effort into and create something that I think is original, whether it be in the Tableau community, in the data visualization community, or just for me. Um, you know, when I'm creating something, if I don't think it's original for me, then I don't ever publish it. And you'll probably notice that I don't even have patience um, because most of my time is spent just, I would consider it like R&D, research and development to figure out how to do these things. So once I have an idea for a project in the future, I can really get it up and running way faster. And I already had the techniques to get this into Tableau previously based off of the, you know, my previous visualization, which was, the, it was the banana boat, the banana boat uh, vision, which is like a 3D. Yeah, I used it for that. I used this technique for um, this and I used it for, I used it for the one previously before that. So it's just a technique that I developed to be able to do some of this stuff. Um, and also the Beatles rabbit hole. Um, and then some of the visualizations before that, I got the idea um, to actually create a lot of it in Alteryx. So I got that from Alex Jones. So I actually remember messaging Alex Jones as soon as he did one of his first visualizations, which was all in Alteryx. I messaged him and I said, hey, like, how do you do this, essentially? And he said, yeah, I do it all in Alteryx because there's certain tools in Alteryx which allow you to basically turn things into shape files and, you know, things run very quickly and you're able to create the extremely custom type visualizations. And if you go to his portfolio, I mean, a lot of his stuff, I get a lot of inspiration from him as well. Um, that's where, I mean, a lot of these came from, but that's kind of where that stemmed from. And then I just became obsessed technique this idea. And then as time has gone on, I'm getting closer and closer to, to just creating poster. I mean, like every single visualization is just getting closer to just doing everything in Illustrator, mainly for the fact that I, I just love the ability to create literally that my mind can conceive. Um, but I do have techniques to take some of this stuff from these programs where you can custom anything and bring it into Tableau, essentially. And that's kind of what I'm doing. I think that's particularly useful. Like the more skills you can have on your tool belt, the better off you're going to be and the more fun you're going to be able to have. The fact that you weren't constrained um, by being a trig master in Tableau to try to figure out how to do this, which I, I'm feeling like Ken Florlidge could crank this out if he really wanted to, like if he really wanted to, but it's going to be a chore. Um, but the fact that you were able to leverage your other technological skill sets and get to this, I mean, that speaks to a discernment for one, because yeah, you can go about stuff with a harder method, but why, if you don't have to, I almost always try to take the laziest approach possible. And it's not just because I'm lazy, which I am, but also because I really want to get to my outcome and I don't care what it's going to take for me to get to my outcome. And I will do what it takes to do that. And, uh, it's funny looking at your ebb and flow of those, uh, one of the things that I liked the most about, and this is so silly, but I commented on it was I like your, um, annotation rings. You made these little rings around like the different branches as it sort of moves around to sort of call out your different texts and stuff like that. And I thought that was just like the nicest little touch. It was a way to elevate something very simple and give it this extra level of flair and class that just wouldn't have been there if you just done all that, like a simple little line. Yeah. And I think the first time I saw that done was there might be even something before that, but I just, do you know the little of data visualization? Have you no, I don't. That? Yeah, I, who is that? But it's called the little data visualization and each, either each week or each month, um, he basically just highlights something really small about a data visualization that he thought was interesting. Um, 
And I think it was like the little visualization 72. Essentially, it was called uh, the lasso annotation. So that's where I found, I saw that from. And it was basically a stream graph where uh, it's a lasso around it, essentially. Um, and I imagine that I think as soon as I, as soon as I posted this, like two days, a uh, day or two later, I saw uh, Nadia Bremer use the lassos as well. So I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Um, it's such a good way to give a level of depth to something that's completely 2D. And and you know, you you can't really create those curves. I mean, you probably could create those curves in Tableau, but that's I mean, very. I I was very particular with the lassos illustrator where I was just getting down, zooming in super far to make it fits exactly. Um, so basically the background for ebb and flow is one SVG from illustrator and it's one sheet. It's, it's literally just one sheet in one. Image. Um, so, oh, and the legend, cause the legend in the top, right, if you click a color and that kind of goes along with the technique of being able to actually interact because what would be the point of putting it into Tableau? You can't actually interact with it. It would be kind of pointless. I might as well have, but you know, I really wanted to make it have tips and things like that. Absolutely. You're delivering extra value and you're showing, I mean, you're, you're showing your passion and you're also allowing people that level of exploration that might be lacking if this were just the, you know, essentially the printed out poster on their wall, which I mean, I want, like I would print this out and put this on my wall. So when that shows up in your Etsy shop, let me know. Um, okay, I got to set one up first. Um, set it up. I know some yeah, guys I've put been, you in touch with. I've been very interested in that because obviously from some of the stuff that I'm creating, I just love the aesthetics of posters where it's it's the idea of one visualization that's unique, but it also, you know, provides, you know, shows the data in a way that you could still at a certain point, it might be more complex, but, you know, after a little bit of looking at it, you're going to understand it. But it's just one visualization that is so eye-catching that you don't need 10 other things also accompanied with it. I just, that's something I've been particularly. I'm right there with you. I, I am very much a fan of the single image viz. Um, rather than trying to overwhelm with details, I would like to tell a story at a macro level and allow for maybe some exploration beyond that if people are curious. But um, I mean, it all depends on people's personal styles and what they want to express and what they want to show. But uh, if you're interested in getting further into printing, Eric Bollish and uh, Jeff Platner are both doing that quite a bit. And I know they've um, offered to help folks out. So that might be something okay. worth reaching out for because uh, this stuff deserves to be seen uh, more than just here. So, you know, put those on your wall. Great. Put them right, right above this computer. Look at them all day. So while we're talking about design, one of your recent blog posts uh, was about modern dashboard design. And I remember my initial question, which was kind of a tongue in cheek question, is modern dashboard design just drop shadows? What is modern dashboard design? So I almost, I don't regret it. So as soon as I put that dashboard out, it kind of stemmed this big thing throughout the community. And I was, I was telling myself, you know, I'm really excited that a lot of people are, you know, using my dashboard as a, you know, jumping off point for visualizations that they're about to create. But then I said, oh no, what have, what have I done? Because I called it modern dashboard design when modern dashboard design isn't even, you know, that's just something I, I equate it to um you know uh, what's it called when it's in a uh, youtube title um youtube title to kind of get people's attention um clickbait click it's almost like clickbait at a point because I, I needed a way to kind of get people's attention but 
these dashboards have been on Dribble for like a, ve a very long time. These have been inside websites and different applications for quite some time. And I started to get really into, you know, user interface and user interface essentially. So I started to get really into that probably within a half year. So I was constantly going on Dribble and Behance and these different websites. And I noticed a trend of in Dribble, all of the dashboards look like this. They look very sleek, very clean, rounded corners. Everything looks like it's exactly where it's supposed to be. It's all so clean. Every, there's a lot of white space. Um, and as I was looking at these, I said, this is basically how my apartment, you could probably tell what my style. Generally, it's pretty clean. I don't like a lot of clutter. So, I mean, if you walked around my apartment, there's, I don't like my wire showing. I do wire management from a computer desk. You know, I don't like stuff everywhere. I just like a pretty minimal, clean, just environment essentially. So it's funny that I do, I did self-assessment on the dashboards that I was creating and then my actual apartment. So I said, oh, it makes complete sense why I like this aesthetic and why I called it, you know, a modern dashboard design. Because all of these are just things that have been in the UI community for about a decade. Rounded corners and drop shadows. All of these are just general techniques that for a long time. And actually, if you just look at, if you're on Google Chrome, if you just look at your search box, it's around, you know, and the new uh, Mac OS Big Sur that's coming out, that's a Mac OS operating system. Recently, I was watching um, MKBHD, which is a popular tech YouTuber. Um, and he actually interviewed the VP from uh, Apple. And the VP from Apple was talking about, you know, like this new Big Sur Mac OS, you know, Almost everything is rounded, you know, pretty much everything in the software is going to be rounded corners. And his thing was, hey, when you walk out in nature, um, you know, almost everything is curves, essentially. Um, and it's just more pleasing to the eye. And I found that to be true. I, I found looking at these dribble dashboards that I just in general, the feeling that I was getting was just almost like it was more at ease. I felt um, it felt more pleasant in general and actually. I walked outside right after to just take a walk and I was, I was just looking at everything essentially and everything that was man-made was straight and everything that was nature was curved. So I said, okay, I mean, it makes sense that something that is curved would just in general, in general, be more aesthetically pleasing. That's what we're, um, and it's just not so jagged. It's not so in your, it feels like I want to, I suppose. And like I mentioned, it's just my job. Yes. I created a blog right after. And I got a lot of questions about it. So I'm saying in here, modern dashboard design isn't really a thing. It's just a culmination of these different elements to create something that I myself found to be more aesthetically pleasing. A lot of people create these things on Dribble. I encourage you, you know, go to different avenues to kind of see what, you know, other dashboards could look like in like application or phone application, essentially anywhere. I'm just going to say right now, don't believe the lies. Robert's the father of modern dashboard design. <laughs> yeah, created it from scratch. I actually created all the UI. But it's it's interesting that you talk about that, how the rounded corners and sort of smoothed out elements can sort of be like more soothing and more intuitive because they feel more natural. I mean, as someone who has spent, you know, the better part of uh, the 2020 uh, inside my house with all squared corners and stuff, I mean, it really stands out once you've stepped out of your home and you're looking at trees and grass and stuff. Everything is irregular shapes. Um, but it's funny that um, dashboard choices can make such a huge impact, whether 
it's your color choices or whether it's your shape choice, your sizing. I was talking with someone earlier today. Um, my, my colleague, David Kelly, and I once did an experiment. He decided to do a dashboard, just totally stripped of color. It was white and essentially gray. And he said, what do you think about this? And I looked at it and I said, why do I feel so tired looking at this? It was, it was, so, um, it was so toned down and sort of drab that I felt kind of drained, like psychically. Um, and you know, in the same way, you can set off alarm bells if you make uh, other poor design choices. Like if you made your headers all red, like people are going to snap to your headers first before they ever look at your data. And they're going to feel alarmed because red sort of sets off that sensation. It's a color that reminds us of blood and fear. So um, yeah, I thought it was a really fascinating blog post and it sparked a lot of good discussions. And anytime a lot of discussions come out of something, whether or not your initial uh, impulse is to sort of be like, oh crap, what did I start? Um, it's almost always a good thing at the end of the day. Um, having said that, you've you know, going back to your portfolio, uh, one of your original visits that I think I first sort of noticed you with, and I'm, I'm saying noticed you like I discovered you, um, <laughs> was your rising viz, which is a looks like a radial area, area chart. But yes. if I recall, I think you tricked out the area chart because it's not an actual area chart. Isn't it essentially concentric radial rings where you're filling in line charts in different segments? Yeah. So that's where the Altrix comes into play. So essentially what it is, is thousands of circles. Uh, it's thousands of circles. And then in Altrix, there's different tools where you can actually, essentially you can take two, two shape files essentially and cut it out. So what I did is I had thousands, let's say I had one flow that was just thousands of circles. And then I had um, another flow that was just an area chart. And then what I did was I combined the two. And then at the end of the day, it looks like a gradient radial. And you can actually click on, you can actually click on the little legend and it shows you, it actually shows you where in, you know, the area chart um, you clicked essentially. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so right there, all of those lines stop exactly where you see. It's not, there's no trickery that there's like a white type of, you know, area graph over it. It's exactly what you see. Um, so that was a big, aren't, yeah, the figuring out how to do that took me forever. And I actually remember sitting down with Zach guys who I work with. And I remember trying to explain to him what I was talking about. And he, I remember he basically looked at me. He's like, oh, I can't really even see in it. I can't even see it because I was trying to draw it out for him. And I'm like, oh, am I going crazy because I'm trying to draw this? I don't know. Maybe is it even possible at all? But it worked out. I love that. It's a spectacular visualization. I use the word spectacular a lot, but it's super eye-catching. The thousands of layers pay off because the the area chart effect is so butter smooth. It's not jagged in the least bit. You would never know that essentially you had like, quote, faked an area chart. I mean, I suspect this is very similar to the logic behind Tableau and how it generates the actual charts themselves, or alternatively, it's just taking a line chart and filling below. But um, I mean, it was super clever. It was super effective in terms of the visual and in terms of your modern UI design. You've got that down your left-hand panel, uh, with the exception of you didn't quite have some of the rounding that has be, you know, more recently been embraced. But it's definitely got the feel and design of that. And it's, it's just a really nice viz. And again, this is another one of those ones that you're going to want to print out. Yeah, I I mean, I was so happy. I can't even express to you how happy I was when I'm like, oh, wow, it is possible. And then I just started to go from the excited. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I like to do with my vision, interesting, I like interesting because, you know, 
I look at it the same way as websites. When you're designing a website, you want people to be interested and you want them to stay. Like people's time is very precious. Um, So when you go on a website, you have to understand that the user's time is very precious, that you you need to get to the point and catch their attention. Um, And I'm the same way. Um, I generally, for me personally, I just don't want to create something I feel like either they haven't seen before or basically just original is kind of what I like, essentially. Um, and like I mentioned, that could be just original for me, but I just like interesting things, I suppose. Things that I find interesting. Well, I think we find it interesting too, and that's shown by your numbers, the enthusiasm for the work you put out. Having said that, we're coming to the end of our time today. And uh, before we sign off officially, I want to note that it is Iron Biz season right now. The month of July is Iron Biz. It's health and wellness. If you're the least bit interested in Iron Biz, um, just take a look at it. Give it a shot. If you're feeling inspired, go for it. Like make something that you yourself feel f- proud of. Don't feel intimidated by looking back at what other people have done before. Like you can make something wonderful um, regardless of your skill level and regardless of your experience. Um, Robert, uh, is there anyone you want to shout out or anything uh, you want to say before we finish up today? Um, I want to shout out uh, Joshua Smith, who I worked with previously in a previous position, um, you know, a lot of my ability to articulate the things that I'm putting onto a dashboard, a lot of that stems from him. And then I kind of took it from there and I kind of built on, built on top of the things that he taught me. Um, basically a mentor of mine and shout out to my mom for the music memories visualization, which uh, was you know, pretty hard for her because some of the stuff in there is very personal. So, um, publicly saying thank you. I did say love you, mom, at the very end. So I guess it was public, but just another shout out. Um, and then thank you to Zach for having me. It was a blast. And I feel like I can discuss pretty much anything for another couple hours. But yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully we'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah, let's do it. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation. 
at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.